0: So I heard that song on YouTube and I was like, yeah, we're doing it. Because how many times, yeah, for one thing it's fun, how many times have we just felt like we're over our heads, you know? All out of our depths, but we know he'll be there. He's there when we feel like we have it all handled and we're not turning to him like we should be. And he's there when we are like all hopeless and wondering what's next and what we're going to do. It's amazing. It's an amazing walk with our Lord God. Um, I just want to start off today by thanking the amazing people we have in our campus. I don't know, I I want you to know how much I value each and every one of you. We came back from Arizona uh, last week, and Sue was sick, and I shortly followed and so there was this panic stricken text to the leadership team where I was going like, what should we do? Should we cancel church? I, I shouldn't be there. I, you know, Sue has COVID and stuff like that. And no, Ken Iker, he's like, I'll do it. I'll preach. And he did a bang up job. He did so good, you know, and yeah, absolutely. And Rick, he, he, he gave communion and Lauren and Tyson sang a song and you know, Justin went and grabbed the chicken, and you guys had a meal out there in the, in, in the pavilion, and, and it was just a time of fellowship and a time of worship, and I was so grateful for the people that we have in this campus, each and every one of you. And so I just want to say thank you. It is a joy to minister here alongside you. And um, I look forward to every Sunday, and I was sorry to miss last time, but partly because of the chicken but I, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, it was, yeah, somebody dropped off about 30 pieces of chicken on my porch, and uh, so we've been eating chicken, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was, it, I'm really sorry always to miss that. Uh, we're in this series right now on the book of First John, we're studying the book of First John, and we're just about halfway through right now, um, and we're doing this for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first, the first reason is some of you may find the Bible uh, intimidating, overwhelming. It's a big, thick book. How, how do you, how do you study it? How do you read it? And this is maybe serve as an example of that. We uh, we're going through verse by verse, and we're writing in our Bibles somewhat, which is like, oh no, can you do that? <laughs> you know? And yeah, you can. If you have a Bible you don't want to write in, we're going to do, try to write in it today. There are Bibles on the table back there. Help yourself uh, to any of those and keep them. They're for you uh, if you want to write in that instead. But, so we're doing it for that reason. We're also doing it as a challenge um, to memorize Scripture. And there's a lot of us, the minute we just hear that, we're like, nope, I'm out. You know, it, it's just I'm not gonna, it, I can't memorize things. And it is difficult. You know, I, some people do it easier than other people do it. Uh, it, it just takes review and constant repetition. Uh, that's what it is. And I, I find that I'll have four or five verses memorized, and, the, and, and I can rattle them off, and then the next day I'll get stuck. Right in the middle, it's just like, what, what, was, it, was it declare or proclaim? Was it, you know, this kind of, and so little words will trip you up. And it's just keep doing it. Keep re- repeating it. The challenge before us is to memorize the first chapter of First John. Um, and that sounds like a lot, but that's 10 verses of, of Scripture. Um, I've got the first five memorized. We're halfway through, so I'm on track. Um, next week, I'll quote them to you. <laughs> I, uh, I've been practicing at home, and uh, I, I get stuck in a couple of places, so I need to review some more. But next week, hold me to it. Uh, well, wait. Actually, next week, Ken's preaching. <laughs> so, um, But I, maybe I'll just get up and do it anyway. But um, yeah, because this is for me too. This, this is for me too. Why do it? The reason we do it is because in times of temptation, in times of struggle, in times of questioning, in times where we feel alone or like God's not listening, the Holy Spirit within us will bring those scriptures to mind if he has them to work with in our hearts. So like the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's, it's a way to guard ourselves against temptation and sin. It's a way to increase our faith in times of testing when we have that word available to us. So it's not just an empty exercise. All right. It really is part of the of growth and maturity in Christ to have his word in our hearts. So today we're looking at uh, the next part. Last week Ken talked uh, about uh, the second chapter of First John and he talked about the last hour and what that means, since Jesus ascended into heaven and until he returns again, we are living in the last hour. And he also talked about antichrists, which is any purported Christian, not really a Christian, who would deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Those are antichrists. And there was turmoil in the churches because some had left that community, they, and, and they, were not only just, they not only just went away, they're now teaching deception to the people around them. And so the, the, the people are confused and they're angry and, and they're frustrated and they don't know what to believe. And John is writing these words to them to help them to understand what ha- what's happening and also to help them to, to recognize who children of God are and who children of the devil are. And so we're going to get into that now, that John is talking about identifying family, not biological family, but the spiritual family of God. What are the distinguishing marks of people who are of the family of God? Um, So he's helping his readers to understand that. Our text today is 1 John 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. Okay, so the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3, verse 10. So let's just read through that, and then we're going to tear it apart real quick. So it says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Hmm. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Now hang with me, we're going to talk about that. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as He is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Some tough stuff to dig around on. So we're going to do that. Just kind of an overview of this passage. What is he saying here? He's saying that when you become a Christian, he calls this being born of God. He uses this birth metaphor, and we're going to look at that. Being born of God means being born into God's family. And so you're now a child of God. You're you're one of God's children. The world out there likes to say God created everybody and we're all children of God. The first part is true. The second part is not. God created everybody, but you're not a child of God until you give your life, your heart to Jesus Christ. That births you into the family of God, according to 1 John. Okay, so if you are a child of God, then you imitate your father by doing what is right. That's what you do. You do what is right and you don't sin. Therefore, to know who's part of the family of God, we look, to see if someone is showing love and obedience or if they're continuing to sin. These are distinguishing marks of the family we belong to, either God's family or the devil's family. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Let's start here with this term, born of God. This phrase is introduced in the 29th verse of chapter 2. It's a phrase that's unique to John, and he loves to use it to describe what happens when you become a Christian. Now, some of you may remember Uh, John, the Apostle's words in his Gospel, John, uh, when he's talking about what Jesus said. In John 3, 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's being born of God, born into that family. So our first action today, what I would like for you to do in your Bibles is to circle born of God. If you would just circle born of God, it happens in verse chapter 2, verse 29, and it happens in chapter 3, verse 9. If you're in the NIV, that is. That's kind of what I'm coming from. So in verse 29 of chapter 2, verse 9 of chapter 3, circle born of God and out in the margin write John, not first John, but John 3.3. 3. John 3.3, 3, <clears throat> the verse we just read. Now what I'm doing here is I'm linking Scripture. Okay, and it is a... It is a, a A a tenet of Bible interpretation that Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, the Bible will not teach one thing someplace and then an entirely contradictory thing somewhere else. If we think we see that, then we have more study to do, more praying to do, that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us what's actually happening there. But the Bible is in harmony. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so, we're linking scriptures here. The, we're linking that born of God term to John 3, 3, where Jesus himself says you need to be born of God. Okay? It, it, it upholds each other. If you have a study Bible and you see that little column either in the middle or off on one of the margins of tiny little print, which is other scripture references, those are called cross-references. And what they are is they're attached to the verses in the main text, and they're just other verses that talk about the same thing. So a study Bible will have a lot of those put on there for you. But what we're doing here is kind of creating a a cross-reference of our own. So so do that. Now, being born of God, it means that we confess Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Remember, Christ is not his last name. (laughs) He's not Mr. Christ. Jesus is Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, the promised one. Remember last week's message, Ken talked about that. And so John even says this later in 1 John. We haven't gotten there yet, but in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I mean, boom. There it is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That is how you are born into that family. Now John uses this birth metaphor uh, for three different reasons. It's a perfect metaphor for what is actually happening. The first reason he uses birth as a metaphor, is because it signifies that awareness, that new awareness that we have of the reality of the world. Okay, when we are born of God, we are birthed into knowing and seeing our sin, and we are birthed into knowing and seeing the love and the presence of God. So it is a change within us. And it's just the same as a newborn baby. A newborn baby is suddenly introduced to the reality of the world. It's cold and it's loud and the lights are bright. It was all warm and cozy in the dark, you know, and so there's a new reality at birth of, of the world. He becomes aware of the reality of the world, and, and we become aware of the reality of our sin, which leads us to repentance, and we become aware of the reality of God's love and presence in our lives, which leads us to believe. So that birth into that reality leads us to repentance and belief that Jesus is the Christ. So that's the first reason. It's a, it's, a, it's a new awareness of the reality of the world. The second reason that John uses birth is because it helps us to remember that being, becoming a Christian is just the beginning of the whole thing. You know, when you go to a wedding, it's a really special thing. It's an incredible thing, but that's just the beginning of the marriage. When you get accepted into the college of your choice, you you dance around the room and it's a wonderful thing, but that's just the beginning of your secondary education. And if you get that job that you want, that you really, really wanted, it's a wonderful thing, but that's just the beginning of your employment. And being saved is an amazing event just like that, but it's just the beginning of following Jesus. You know, that's it's a mindset we get into so often. It's like, I'm saved and that's it. Okay, I'm done. All right, that, that's, that's not what God intends. God intends to save you for a purpose, for a life that begins at that moment and continues throughout your path on earth and into eternity. So saying that you're born of God, saying that you're a child of God, it looks back to the moment you were saved, but now it also looks forward to a life of continual growth, of continual struggle and failure and falling, but getting back up and growing and becoming stronger in our faith and knowing God better and loving Him more, and being hungry for His Word and wanting to, you know, meditate on it, and learn. The power of "born of God" that phrase, is that it forces us to see our lives as a lifelong journey. Our life in Christ is a lifelong journey. We never stop working, on our spiritual growth, never. We never do. So birth signifies a new awareness of our reality. It signifies the beginning of a life. And thirdly, birth shows that it's new. There's a real change in your life. We, we, we are new and we are different. We are part of a new family. We are now a child of God. Okay, so now that we're children of God, let's see what goes on with that. Let's start in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. John's giddy here. John is filled with amazement at this truth. And I, I don't know why it escapes us so often, but there is cause for amazement here. We have been changed from frail, broken human beings into children of God. We're still, we're still frail. We're still living in a body of flesh, but we are made new. We are made new, and it, it, is, it is amazing. It, it should kind of give us shivers sometime. John's almost jumping up and down here. The God of the universe loves us so much that he makes us a part of his family. And that's pretty incredible. We are really God's children. It's not a metaphor. It's not a, a, a trick, on a play on words. We are actually God's children. Really quick, if you want to look over, and it'll be on the screen, but in Galatians, a book earlier in the New Testament, in Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, it says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so... You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir, an heir of his blessings, an heir of all that he wants for us. So the action here in your Bible, underline children of God in 1 John 3.1. In 1 John 3.1, underline children of God. In the margin write Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. So now what are the results of being a child of God? Let's look at those. In 1 John 3 and the rest of verse 1 and to ver- through verse 3, <clears throat> it says the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. So what are the results of being a child of God? The first one, the first result, the world does not know us. The world does not know us. See, the world doesn't fully recognize Christians or take them seriously because the world can't fully recognize God or take Him seriously. Just like the world didn't recognize Jesus, the world does not fully recognize us. The world isn't aware of their sin. The world is not aware of the love and presence of God. When we become children of God, we become other to the world. We're just passing through. Maybe you've heard that said before. You know, so John makes this really clear in his gospel. John, again, if you look at the gospel, John chapter one, verse 10, he says this about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Just like Jesus was not recognized by the world, we become unrecognized when we become children of God, unrecognized by the world. So the action here in your word is to underline, the world does not know us. The world does not know us. It's the second half of verse 1 in chapter 3. Underline, the world does not know us, and write John 1.10 in the margin. John 1.10. So the first reason, the first thing that happens when we become children of God, the world suddenly does not recognize us. And we see that, right? We see that in the way that maybe friends of ours just don't understand where we're coming from. Maybe we get insulted. Maybe people laugh at us. Maybe they just don't understand when we tell them about Jesus, which we have to do. But they just don't understand in that moment. The Holy Spirit has to work on them. There has to be a miraculous change. But we see that lack of recognition in times like that. The second result of becoming a child of God is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. (laughs) We shall be like him. This is so amazing, it's so mysterious, that John himself admits what we will be has not yet been made known. John doesn't know. Nobody really knows what that's about. But when Jesus returns when he sets up the new heaven and the new earth, and when we see him face to face, those born of God will be like Jesus. Imagine one day, one day we're going to see the exalted, glorified, resurrected Jesus face to face. And he's not going to be a carpenter in sandals. He's going to be God. He's going to be glorious, blinding. In, in spotless white, I, I guess. I, reading Revelation, whatever, that, that's what I think. I don't know that words can adequately describe it, but we will one day see him. And when we see that, it's going to affect us. It's going to transform us. We will be like him. We will be changed just by being in his presence. But here's the thing. That transformation doesn't start then. That transformation starts now. That transformation starts right now, today. That's why John, in this passage we just read, talks about purifying ourselves just as he is pure. We have to purify ourselves. To purify ourselves is to prepare for that encounter, prepare for his coming. Remember, the Bible teaches we don't know the day or the hour. Remember, there's parables about that. We don't know when he's going to come. People come and they say, the end of the world is this day. We don't listen to that because we don't know. The Bible says we cannot know. Jesus himself said only the Father knows. But we can live to be prepared. We don't want to be caught unaware when he comes. We can live to be prepared. We can be loving him and obeying him and deepening our faith in him reading His Word, being obedient to what He tells us to do until that glorious day, whenever that is. We need to start dealing with our sin now because this shows reverence for God. And we're not going to stand before Him casually. I mean, we're not going to just say, Hey, God, good to see you. I, I can't imagine... what is that song? Imagine? The, the one who says, like, I can't speak. I can only imagine. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm a worship leader. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I can only imagine, and it's just imagination. I I can't imagine how that would actually be. So, how do you want to appear in God's presence? How do you want that to be? Did, will He catch you unaware? Will He catch you prepared? Start now. Start now preparing. If you don't like living a life of purity and holiness now, how are you going to deal with heaven? Heaven where God is the actual embodiment of purity and holiness. We have to prepare ourselves now. Look at Romans 8.29. It's up on the screen. It says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters we will be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus is not the only one who looks that way ultimately. So he has many brothers and sisters in the family of God. So the action. Underline, we shall be like him. In the first three verses there of 1 John chapter 3, we shall be like him. And write Romans 8.29 in the margin. Romans 8.29. So as children of God, how do we live like children of God? Okay, now we get to verses 4 through 9, where you kind of swallow and your mouth goes a little dry here. He he defines sin in this passage, and we need to look at that. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, now verses 4 through 6. It says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Hold on to that. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, lawlessness is critical here. Lawlessness is critical to understanding this passage. The Greek word here is anomia. Anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A. A-N-O-M-I-A. It means a lifestyle or attitude of living a sinful life without any care whatsoever to a sense of right and wrong. It is an utter disregard to God's heart, to God's desire, to God's law in life. It is sinning and not caring. That is what the Greek word under lawlessness means. Jesus himself was sinless and he came to conquer that power of sin in our lives. So what I want you to do in your Bible is underline lawlessness. Maybe you've already done this. Underline lawlessness and put anomia in the margin. A-N-O-M-I-A. A-N-O-M-I-A. Under that, write utter disregard for God's law. Utter disregard for God's law. Okay, so let's put a pin in that and move on. 1 John 3, 7 and 8. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So John is distinguishing a life here that's that's a life of sin versus a life of righteousness, and that's the primary way you identify a child of God versus a child of the devil. Those who obediently do what's right are of the family of God. Those who keep on lawlessly sinning are from the family of the devil. We are revealing our family heritage here. Okay, by our actions and our attitudes, we reveal our heritage. John summarizes this point in verse 9. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Those born of God are going to resemble their family heritage. They live a lifestyle of obedience and and love because they remain or they abide in. In God. Okay, so let's let's take this on now. When I've read this in the past, maybe when you're hearing it now or when you've read it in the past, but I'm a Christian and I sin. I'm a Christian and I sin. John says here that those who are born of God not only won't sin, they can't sin. So what's going on? What's going on here? Remember, he's defining it as lawlessness. Lawlessness. Okay, true Christians can't and won't continue in an ongoing, uncaring, utter disregard for God's heart. True Christians will not do that. Okay, they will not do that. It will not be an attitude of or a continual acceptance of opposition to God. We will not live that way. So when you're out, when you're there and you're you're all tied up in knots and you're saying, I love you, God. I, I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. I've given my life to you, but there are there are sins, or maybe one sin in particular, I can't get past. I fall all the time. And when I do, my heart is broken and I worry about it, and I want to make it right with you. And I pray, God help me, forgive me, I repent of that sin, make me stronger next time. That is a child of God. You don't have utter disregard to God's heart. You are destroyed by your sin. You are mad about your sin. It frustrates you. It makes you sorrowful. That is the attitude of a child of God. It doesn't mean that we no longer sin, no longer fall, no longer have moments of struggle where we do give in to temptation. It means that when we do, we are sorry for it. A child of the devil sins and does not care. A child of the devil sins and does not care. People who do not know Jesus as Savior sin and do not care. Okay, I hope that brings some light to this. Those who are children of God no longer live in continual disobedience. Okay, Yes, we are frail human beings. We will stumble. We will fall. But when we do, are, are you not? Are, aren't you sorry? I, I know I am. I'm frustrated to death when I fall, when I deal with these sins. And it's like, I'm, I even saw it coming, God. And I knew it was wrong, and I let it happen again, whatever it may be. You lose your temper in, or in traffic, or you look at pornography, or what I, I don't know, whatever addicting or pleasurable or attractive thing the devil puts before you. Because remember, in spiritual warfare, that's how he fights. He's not going to tempt you with something you don't find attractive. But when that happens... Maybe when we have his, his word in our heart and when we've been studying the Bible and when we've been meditating on, the, on his word and when we've been praying to him and spending time just in silence with him, maybe we just tell the devil to take a hike right then. That's what we're going toward. But maybe we have this moment of weakness where we, where we succumb. And in that moment, the child of God's heart is stricken. And we go before God and we repent and we ask for forgiveness, and we're sorry, and we say we're not going to do that again. To illustrate this, if when we are children of God, we no longer sin, period, then most of the New Testament is useless verbiage because most of the New Testament is telling us what sins to avoid and how to live our lives. If we just knew that, and if we just did that, that's useless. Why is it there? Why would it be there? But Paul in his letters, he he has paragraphs where he lists all the sin that's in our lives. And he's like, dear children, avoid these things. Because that's the struggle we have as Christians. But when we fall, we're sorry about it. Look at King David. You Remember how God described King David? He is a man after my own heart. God said. King David was married, lusted after another man's wife, had that guy killed off so he could sleep with her. A man after God's own heart. Because David was destroyed by what he did. You can read about it in the Psalms. You can read the lament in his heart for the sin that he's committed. He was sorry for it. He sought repentance for it. He sought forgiveness for it. And it's the same With us, he repented, he asked forgiveness, and he did the hard work of changing his life. We're in the middle of doing the hard work of changing our lives. Of changing us so so that sin is less pleasurable and pleasing God is far more. When we believe in Jesus, there's a little, uh, a long kind of, you know, complicated word called sanctification. Sanctification. When we believe in Jesus, we have instantaneous sanctification in God's view. And that is the blood of Jesus is applied to our life. It covers over all of our sin for all time. And when God sees us, he sees a blameless, spotless person made holy by the blood of Jesus. That's instantaneous sanctification. But then there's practical sanctification. And that is the life we live at that point on. We are constantly growing, learning. We're falling. And we're learning from that. We're sorry for our sin. We repent. We get up. We fight again. We walk through life. And slowly, step by step, the child of God becomes more and more able to sidestep sin and to embrace the will of God. And that's what we're talking about here. Okay. So finally, in 1 John 3.10, he gives us the primary example of what it means to be children of, of God, and this is to love. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And this verse propels us into next week with Ken's message, when Ken talks about love. God is love, and as his children, we must love one another. So next week, we'll be talking about that. So what are the takeaways from this passage? What what, what have we learned? God wants us to know how to distinguish those who are born of God. He wants us to know that we also are born of God, part of God's family. We are God's children. And when we know that, we have to reflect. Does our lifestyle reflect that family heritage? Do we look like that family? If so, you'll be constantly seeking to grow in love. You'll be constantly seeking to sin less and less. That's sanctification process. You know, the things that we say and do, they identify our family. It's true even of our biological families. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. I I know today I, I have a word in my vocabulary that I don't think anybody, at least I've never heard it or seen it in print. It was something my mother said all the time. And that word was nonplussed. Have you all heard that word? Nonplussed. It's like amazed or shocked. She said that, and I was nonplussed. I've never seen that word before (laughs) since my mom. But it's something that's in my vocabulary because of her. I also have inherited things from my dad. He looked forward to a Cowboys football game all week long. And when it came on TV, he sat down, he tuned it in, and fell asleep. That's what God did. I I mean, that's what dad did. And to this day, I know there's a Steelers game coming. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, sitting, I'm, I'm hunkered down. I'm going to watch that game in the second half of the second quarter. And I, I dip out for a bit, you know. I do. And it's like I laugh because I see my dad in that. We have things we inherit from our family. It's not just DNA. It's behaviors and it's attitudes. And it's the same with us as children of God. When we are members of the, of the family of God, our actions, our attitudes betray our family heritage. So, what is your family heritage? Are you taking on the characteristics of Jesus? Also, John says, when Jesus comes, we'll be transformed into his likeness. We will be affected by that, but that doesn't mean we just wait for that. That means we start now to purify ourselves, to be prepared for that moment. So, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are born of God, born again, and you're a child of God, so live like it embrace his love for you embrace your family heritage into the family of God folks let's try and be someone who who puts sin more and more in the rearview mirror right just just put sin away and at the same time put on a lifestyle of love and obedience to God all right all right thank you for kind of working through this with me let's pray Lord God, these are challenging words to read. These are hard words. Um, some of them are a little bit difficult to understand, but God, we just uh, we just know that we are, we are your children, and we have faith in that. And I pray, God, that with each one of us, with me, with, with everyone here, God, that you help us bit by bit to just um, take on more and more of your likeness Become more and more like your son, Jesus. Hate sin more. Love people more. Love God more. Help us, Lord, to hunger for things of you more than things of this world. Make of us a family, God, a family, your family. God, we love you. and We praise you today. We are so grateful that you did the amazing work to bring us into your family. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to believe in him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.